Hi, this is Larry, and I want to welcome everybody to the podcast. Uh, This is podcast number 10, and today we're going to discuss uh, the concept of normalcy. What is normalcy? Uh, Normalcy is an objective concept. Uh, Normalcy is different to all of us. we're raised as children by our parents and what our parents teach us and what we learn from our friends in our particular area is what we grasp as a concept of normalcy. Um, Now we grow older, we meet a young lady and we date and we decide to get married and this, uh, whoever we meet and decide to choose for our spouse, uh, has been raised by a different set of parents in a different environment, and their concept of normal probably different than ours. So how do we live in a, a marriage setting and exist with our concept of normal bumping into their concept of normal, and you both have different concepts, and how do we exist? and accept each other without uh, getting divorced or having constant fights and uh, it's a hard concept to grasp of how two different people from different environments can get along. The term for successful marriage is compromise and keeping an open line of communication. And, uh, well, how does that affect us? This is uh, a podcast on addiction in the family. Uh, Now what? So how does this affect us as a family when there's addiction in the family? Our concept of normal has always been, uh, let's say, somewhat linear, although when we're living with a a spouse and uh, they're from a different environment, our concept of normal tends to meld, and we change our concepts. Uh, So now entering into this image of normalcy uh, is the disease of addiction coming in, and any, any... any disease that is uh, potentially a deadly disease will affect your relationships and your concepts. Uh, So let's see how this is. Suddenly you have somebody that's living with addiction and you put them into treatment or they decide to go into treatment and you're learning all these new things. You're learning that there'll always be an addict and you uh, come from such a nice house, and what did I do wrong, and what did my wife do? It couldn't be me, it had to be her, and she's saying couldn't be me, it had to be him, and uh, he grew up in Brooklyn, and you know what Brooklyn's like, so it's his ideas that caused this, and I'm saying, you know, she grew up in Rockaway, and uh, her mother worked, and her father worked, there was no, so her concept concepts of parental discretion might have been too loose, and maybe that's why. And then you go to these meetings, and you go to family night meetings, or you get help with a therapist or something like that, and you realize that it's nobody's fault. 
and you have other children perhaps and uh, they have a different concept of normalcy too so let's go into different uh, you know I'm I'm the father and I work and I come home and I want to relax and I have a rough job even though people don't consider it a rough job but there's tension on any job that you have there's the tension that maybe you're going to fail and uh, maybe you're not making enough money and maybe you're not devoting enough time to your family so your concept of normal is to go to work you know as the uh wage earner if you're the only wage earner and in my family i was the only wage earner so my concept of normal was to go to work get up in the morning take my shower take my shave get dressed uh, have breakfast go to work put in a good day's work and uh I came from a family that stressed education, and with my children, I stressed education, and uh, that was my concept, to go to work, make a living, come home, pay your bills, and that was my concept of normalcy. My wife's was a little different. Her concept of normalcy was to get up in the morning, clean up, and tend the house and tend the children. We got along. I accepted her concept of normalcy, she accepted our, uh, my concept of normalcy, and uh, we did butt heads at times, but uh, then the situation arose where one of our daughters came down with the disease of addiction, and at first we didn't realize it, and uh, my concept of normalcy was I grew up in the 60s, and you know, we would smoke a little pot. My wife didn't. My wife's concept, you know, she had a little bit of addiction in her family. So she didn't. She didn't drink. She didn't smoke. She didn't do anything uh, other than cigarettes. And she stopped that about a year, a couple of years after we got married. She stopped. I stopped smoking. Uh, for all intent and purposes, we had a fairly normal family. But there again, what's normal? So, uh when we found out about this there was stress blame on both sides she blamed me i blamed her but we didn't actually come out and blame each other we just uh, were very upset but she had sisters my she was my youngest daughter we refer to her in the book as z and i'll refer to her as z although there's no more problem with confidentiality unfortunately we both loved Z very much. She was the youngest daughter. She was born a couple of years after my previous youngest daughter we decided to have another child, and we did, and she was very bright, very good student, made the honor roll, but she always had that way about her. She got straight A's in middle school, looked at me and said, I'm not going to do that again because she'll expect it all the time. So I looked at her and I said, she's got a good mind and she's got good concepts. But let's see what happens. I know she's going to be a good student, and she was. She graduated college magna cum laude. Uh, her program was a two-year program. Then she went back to complete the four-year uh, program and again she graduated with honors. She was an exceptionally bright girl, exceptionally bright sense, uh, exceptionally exceptional sense of humor, 
uh, which is also a sign of brightness. But uh, her sister's sense of normal was, you know, they had their personal possessions, which would be, let's say, expensive colognes, and they were older than her. They were dating, and some were married. They she would go to visit them, and suddenly a bottle of cologne was missing, and their sense of normal was not that, and they resented her. We would uh, buy her clothes. We would you know, help her with her car payments, we would help her with her insurance. Their concept of normal was you work and you pay your bills. And they couldn't understand why she was using drugs and being rewarded. And their concept of normal was correct. You know, why is she being rewarded for doing the wrong thing? So we call that sibling sense of normal. They resented her, and they were right, and that's a normal emotional feeling. Why am I working so hard to pay my bills, and she's being rewarded because she's getting high? And uh, stop to rationalize there, and uh, that's, a, that's an important concept to understand. You know, they loved her, but... They couldn't understand why she was being rewarded for doing the wrong thing, and that's 100% right. A parent's concept of normal is, well, I gotta hope, I gotta help my child out. She's in distress, and she's uh, having all this trouble. If she's ever going to stop, she doesn't need all these extra burdens and tensions. So we gotta help her out, and that was our concept of normal. There again. Normal is what your concept of normal is. Her concept of normal was I got to get up in the morning and I got to try to go to work, but I can't go to work until I get high. And I don't know what they're knocking me out about. This is my life and I like the way I live and this and that. And that was her concept of normal. So what is normal? Normal is what our life experiences teach us. Is it a constant? Well, to a certain extent, our normal is based on what we've experienced. And we're raised, and during our learning process, we're raised by our parents, and uh, whether you think education is important, the basics we learn in our childhood. Education is important. Uh, a good job is important. Uh, you grow up, you get into a relationship. That's important. Some families don't believe that. Some families, there's not good relationships uh, between the parents and the children don't want to have good relationships. They just want to go out and live uh, lives uh, separate from a spouse or a loved one. So, you know, it, it, it's what we come in contact. It's what we, we, what we see in life that helps us develop our concept of normal. And when someone suffers from addiction, their concept changes rapidly because it goes from uh, a, a life where parents thing and helping you emotionally grow and you getting an education and trying to start a life to changing it changes to you trying to survive and to 
stay out of trouble, stay out of jail, stay out of death, stay out of the way of death because they know what could happen to them. And their new concept of normal is a survival mode. And their life is not an easy life. And it's amazing how fast they can go from a life of somewhat ease uh, where their parents are guiding them and helping them and supporting them uh, to a life of not knowing if they're going to make it through the day and not knowing if they're going to get arrested and not knowing if they're going to die and not knowing if they're going to get beaten up or shot or it's a terrible concept of normal but that becomes their concept of normal while they're in active addiction for us we can't grasp that concept of normal that's totally an irrational way to live and a, an abnormal way to live and it is when you consider how people that are not in active addiction live but people in active addiction have a different concept of what living is about and uh, in previous previous uh, podcasts I discussed the concept of compassion fatigue so let me go over that again what what is compassion fatigue and a lot of therapists say compassion fatigue is uh, a state that exists between a parent a family member a parent let's stick with a parent and those suffering from active addiction and what happens how do we go into compassion fatigue compassion fatigue is when your loved one goes into treatment and you have this feeling that okay now everything's going to be all right that becomes your norm your normal state uh, my child's gone in there and everything's going to be all right. I can't wait to get them home. I'm going to buy them new clothes. They're going to get a job and uh, everything. It's just that they messed up a little bit and now they're coming home and everything's going to be great again. So uh, can't wait to get them home. They got to get out of that place. Let's hope everything. And that's your, you know, their first trip in usually and uh, they'll go to meetings yeah yeah that's okay too they got to go to meetings but truthfully uh you know i I prefer they wouldn't hang out with those people let it just make friends at work and uh, everything's going to be hunky-dory and then they come home and uh, they well i'm going to meetings because while they were in treatment they went to meetings every night and uh they were becoming accustomed getting into the habit of going to nightly meetings they go to these meetings and they meet people and they get into the fellowship and they find a sponsor and uh, they get a support group and everything's fine and uh, you're looking at them and not knowing what goes on because most of those meetings are closed they occasionally have open meetings that you know outsiders can attend but 
Uh, for the most part, you don't go to those meetings. They go to those meetings, and you don't know what goes on. And uh, what do they say? Ignorance is bliss. You're just seeing your kid who used to come home staggering, and uh, their eyes were, you know, closing, and they would nod out on the couch, and they would have blood trickling down their arm, and all these beautiful things that made you want to go into the bathroom and puke. And uh, you're not seeing that anymore, and you're happy as a fly in a sewer treatment plant. I mean, you are ecstatic. Look at the difference. I have my child back. They're getting a job, and everything's great. And tomorrow I'm going to take them shopping, and uh, I made their car payments so that they can go to their meetings. Everything's great. If the meetings make them happy, I'm happy. But Two months down the road, you notice they're coming home late, and they're locking their door again, and things aren't going so great, and you're getting nervous, and you sit them down, and you try to talk to them, and they don't want to talk to you, and the old uh, nastiness is coming back, and uh, they relapsed. And you go into their room to make the bed, which they should be making, but you go in and make the bed, and... There it is. You find a, a needle on the floor. You pick it up. You show it to them. And they yell at you. What were you doing in my room? Bop, bop, bop. And the whole thing goes. And there's a relapse. So you say, look, I love you. And you got to go into treatment again. You don't want to die. I don't want to lose you. Bop, bop, bop. And they say, all right. So they lose their job, and they go into uh, the treatment center again, or maybe they're embarrassed to go back in because they know the people there, and they don't want to show them that they relapsed. That's their norm again. So you get them back into treatment, and 30 days later, they come out because they didn't need 90 days. They just needed a touch-up. You caught it, you know, Philly. They relapsed, uh, you know not too long ago, and they, they need a touch-up, so they go in for 30 days, and they come out, and they're attending meetings again, and you go, boy, I'm glad I caught that when I did look, everything's great again, and uh, two, three months later, four months later, they're slamming the door again, and boom, it happens, and after it happens a few times, you say, look, I can't deal with this anymore, they're going to do this for the rest of their life, they're junkies, and I hate that term because that's such a derogatory term. They suffer from a disease, and like any other disease, the disease should be respected by you, and most important, it should be respected by them. You say, look, I want you out, pack your stuff, get out, and if you ever get straight, we love you, you can come home, but I can't live like this. And you might not realize it, but you're probably doing a good thing because that's a boundary. I had set a boundary with my daughter. I said, your mother and I can't live like this. We want you out. Find a place to live. We get too upset. I, I'm older, and I, I, I don't want to have a heart attack. If you're ready, let me know. I'll give you all the support. And I, uh, you know, I'll help you get into a place. I want you to come to me when you're ready to get help. 
and I, but you can't live at home like this. I, I don't want to walk into your room and find you dead. I don't want to walk into your room and find needles on the floor. I have to worry about uh, mom cleaning your room up and getting stuck with a dirty needle. And I don't, well, you know, you might tell me that you're not you know, sharing needles, but I can't trust that. So I, I would like for you to move out. And uh, when you're ready to get straight, I'm here for you. Mom's here for you. We love you. And that's compassion fatigue. You finally throw in the towel. It's a, it's a, a euphemism for throwing in the towel. But it's not terrible if you do it right. If you tell them that, you know, you're setting the boundary. You can't live at home like this. Now, people say, how could you do that? But that's your norm. That's considered your norm that's your concept of normal at this point is that a bad thing no i i know a very very bright therapist who does uh, and i've probably mentioned this in previous podcasts she does grief counseling and she says it's probably somewhere around 50 50 people who have you know loved ones that overdosed uh, blame themselves uh, at a rate of approximately 50-50. Some blame themselves for throwing their loved ones out. And maybe if they were home, I could have helped them and saved them. And on the other hand, some walk into the room and find their loved ones overdosed and dead. And uh, they blame themselves for letting them stay at home and maybe if i threw them out they would have to you know fend for themselves and they would have hit bottom sooner and the concept of bottom is another norm what is bottom some people just keep going on and on and on and never hit bottom but what is bottom some people aren't even suffering that hard and say i can't live like this i can't get up in the morning and uh you know have to do whatever i have to do to get high I'm done. I'm done. And that's their norm. Uh, they haven't been arrested. They haven't overdosed. They just don't want to live a life where they uh, can't speak clearly. They, you know, they can't make a living and they don't want to live like that. And that's their norm. And some people, you know, they, 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 they're freezing to death. The ambulance takes them in. They have to get heat blankets and they don't want to get taken to a shelter even. So their concept of normal is living in the street, and they don't care. And you can't tell them what their concept of normal is, right or wrong, because they believe in their concept of normal. So it's a very distressing, and uh, it's not a, a concept that's a solid concept. There is no right or wrong. Uh, it's what they believe. So, you know, what do we do? We, it's compromise again. How do you deal with that? Compromise. It, it's a hard concept when you see your loved one destroying their life. And they are destroying their life no matter what they tell you. Well, I love this life. They don't. They don't because it's, it's a constant, uh, a constant life of trying to survive and you know it's hard enough surviving if you have a job but you can't make the rent because the boss don't give you a cost of living raise and your rent is 
$1,200 and you're making 10000 a month and your rent is 1200 uh, 12, uh, you know, your rent is more than your income and you got electric and you got all these bills and you got to get a second job and a third job. And it's hard enough surviving that way. But when you're getting up in the morning and having to go out to rob somebody or rob a store or steal from your pusher and not know if he's going to pull a gun out and blow your head off uh, and uh, shooting up and don't know if it's going to be the last time you ever use because there's a hot dose with fentanyl in it and uh, that's what they're going through and yeah once once they get that high and they don't die and they're sitting there feeling that sensation coursing through their blood yeah, for uh, for an hour or two or three or however long the high lasts, they're feeling good. As their high wears off and they start getting dope sick, they got to fight again. So their concept of normal is irrational to us, and we can't understand it, and we never will. And I'll let you in on a little secret. They can't understand it and never will either. I wrote in the book, never try to understand this disease because they can't understand the disease and they're the ones that uh, are mentally trying to figure out why they do what they do and they don't know. And therapists can't figure out why does somebody that have like two weeks to get their kids back, they've been sober for months and uh, their uh, jurisdiction that took their kids away said if you have uh, a year clean you can get your kids back and they have like 11 months clean and two weeks before they got to go back to court to get their kids back they relapse they don't know why they did it maybe somewhere's in the back of their head they don't feel worthy of having children uh, who knows what the reason is, but I do know that when they come back into treatment and they come into family night, somebody in the family who has custody of your kids bring the children. I know they hug their children and they cry and they, they, they can't understand why they did it. So their concept of normal is normal while they're in active addiction. And their concept of normal is normal when they're not in active addiction. They have different concepts of normal. Normal is not a constant. A normal is a reflection of your situation and how you accept it. So never think that your concept is the right way. And you got to try to understand that you're dealing with somebody whose concept is different than yours. I hope I've some insight into, you know, what we think is normal is not normal for somebody else. And it uh, doesn't have to be with addiction. It could just be, uh, you know, why do you push the kids to go to college? My parents didn't. You found me and you fell in love. Uh, why Why do you think that, you know, our daughters have to go to college? Maybe boys do because they're going to be, a, you know, sporting a family. And you're saying, what is she talking about? You know, women work. 
Women have to, everybody should have some form of education. Broadens your thinking process. Education is uh, something that, and you're wondering where she's coming from. She's wondering what you're thinking about. You gotta compromise, and you gotta keep open channels of communication. Everybody's concept of normal is different. And that's, like I said, we come from different environments, different backgrounds, and uh, we got to learn to accept each other. One of the reasons that the divorce rate is uh, like 60% now is because uh, back in the old days, our parents uh, met somebody, they got married, and they knew it was forever, and... Uh, that was it. There was no thoughts about it. Occasionally there was a divorce, but there was nothing like now. But we raised our kids to say, you don't have to take any, you know, abuse or anything like that. you got to live a happy life. So, uh, you know, that's why you got to make money. Money's not going to make everybody happy. I mean, it'll buy things for you. It'll take you on nice vacations. It'll get you a nice house. But that doesn't bring happiness. Happiness is what goes on in your heart and in your head. So I want to thank you all for joining me. Uh, I hope you come back again next week. I try to make these podcasts interesting, but I try to make them educational too. And uh, we're here for you if you have any questions. Uh, Of course, we do discuss a lot of things, and I have to speak fast to get done in time. Uh, I want to give you my uh, email address. It's uh, addictioninthefamilynowwhat at gmail.com. Again, that's addictioninthefamilynowwhat at gmail.com. Send me your questions, and we'll discuss them at the next podcast, hopefully. And uh, eventually, I'd like to just get your questions and we can discuss them and give answers. Uh, Your anonymity will be maintained. Uh, You know, just give me a name you want to be used, that you want me to use, and I'll uh, maintain your anonymity. Uh, I want to thank you for coming and... uh, I want to put a little plug in for my book, which by some coincidence just happens to be Addiction in the Family, Now What? Uh, it's available through Amazon, and uh, it's $20. I know if you're going to listen to the podcast, that's a good thing, but this will work as a reference. You could look things up because I put a lot of information out in a short time. So this book is an interesting read. Uh, my wife liked it. I say this every week. She don't like much that I do. So if she liked it, she read it in a day and a half. And uh, I hope that you uh, take advantage and buy the book. Uh, it's both educational and interesting. And uh, it coincides somewhat with the podcast. So I want to wish you all a great day. And I want to thank you for listening and come back again next week and uh, send me any questions that you might. Thank you. Bye.